You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. Do you understand these rights? If you've ever seen a crime drama on TV or in a movie, or if, unfortunately, you've ever been arrested yourself, you're familiar with what is known as the Miranda warning. Now, where does this warning come from? Well, many believe it's not from the Constitution or common law, but it was simply a product of the Supreme Court's fertile imagination. But be that as it may, it is the law. And it's a law that says you have the right to remain silent. Ironically, one of the victims of the Miranda opinion <clears throat> was Ernesto Miranda himself. This criminal whose conviction for rape and kidnapping was overturned by that famous Supreme Court case that bears his name, was later stabbed to death in 1976 in a Phoenix bar. The cops arrested a suspect in the killing and he wanted to confess. But after being read his Miranda rights, he refused to talk and he was never convicted. <laughs> well, we're not debating today whether the Miranda warning violates the Constitution. I'll leave that one to all you wannabe lawyers. <laughs> but I do know that it violates spiritual law because the Bible makes it plain that confession is good for the soul. And one day we will all have to confess our sins before God. So we can do it now before it's too late or later when it is. But either way, sins have a way of coming out. The truth of the matter is we all have faults and we all sin. Our text for today reminds us if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. The best people in the Bible sinned. Moses, Abraham, David, Peter, Paul, Mary Magdalene, they all sinned. But by the grace of God, they all overcame their sin and they did it by following the principle laid down in this verse. Unfortunately, I'm convinced that many of us do not follow the principles laid down in this verse and we suffer greatly because of it. So if you want to live a victorious life over sin and the devil and not become paralyzed by the poison of guilt, listen up. <laughs> you see, there's only one way to deal with sin, and that's to confess that sin and confess it properly. And there's only one type of sin that can truly hurt you if you're a Christian, and that is unconfessed sin. John begins by saying, if we confess our sins. Now, the word confess is in the present tense, which means this is something that we must continuously do. We need to confess daily. Why? Because we sin daily. Now, to understand confession, you must understand what the word means. It comes from the Greek word homo legeo. The word homo meaning the same, and the word legeo meaning to say. So it literally means to say the same. So in confession, you're looking at sin the same way God looks at sin. And that means a whole lot more than simply admitting you made a mistake. You can admit sin without confessing sin, without agreeing with God's perspective on sin. When you truly confess sin, you've been convicted of that sin and you despise it. You're broken over it and you want to turn away from it. 
Real confession does not just try to evade the consequences of sin. It seeks to erase the guilt of sin. Now, I've been both amused and amazed to hear how people try to deal with their sin. Some call it a mistake. Some call it an error. Some call it bad judgment. Let's call it by its right name. What God calls sin is not a bad habit. It's not a mistake. It's not a weakness. It's a sin. So let's call it what it is. If it's lust, call it lust. If it's jealousy, call it jealousy. If it's bitterness, call it bitterness. If you took the Lord's name in vain, call it cursing. Just call it what it is. Then secondly, confess it when it occurs. You know, someone has said, we love to sin retail and confess wholesale. (laughs) I mean, many of us wait until we go to bed at night and then say something like this. Lord, if I have sinned, forgive me. First of all, you just lied if you said, if you sinned, because there's hardly a day that goes by that none of us sins. Well, speaking for myself anyway. But furthermore, we need to confess sin specifically and confess sin instantaneously so that we can always know that we're right with God. So don't make excuses, just make a confession. As Corey Tenboom once said, the blood of Jesus never cleansed an excuse. Go to God with your sin, and God will cleanse you of that sin and take away your guilt. Now, if we do confess our sins, here's what John goes on to say. God is faithful and just. Now, why did he remind us of those two specific character qualities of God? Well, you see, first of all, God is faithful to his promise. As the Bible says in Jeremiah, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God has a covenant relationship with his children like you, and he cannot break that covenant. So no matter how egregious our sin, no matter what evil we've perpetrated, no matter how far we strayed from God's commands, there's nothing that will ever separate us from his love and forgiveness, and that's his promise. But not only is God faithful to his promise, he is just in his purpose. You see, the moment he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, he could forgive our sins and yet still be a holy and a righteous God. On the one hand, God cannot just let sin go by, or else he wouldn't be holy and just. But on the other hand, God is loving and merciful so that he can forgive us sinners. So how do you do this? How could God be faithful and forgive us of sin, yet be just and not let us get away with it? By sending Jesus to die for our sins. That's why he says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is just. He punishes sin, but he's punished his son Jesus in our place. And because God punished Jesus, you can be forgiven. You see, when you take your sins to the cross of Calvary, God must forgive you. If he didn't, he would dishonor his son and dishonor his son's sacrifice. 
That's why I cringe when I hear people say, I did wrong and I beg God to forgive me. You never have to beg God to forgive you. You see, if you truly confess your sins, he will totally and joyfully forgive you. By the way, the word faithful means every single time. If a man is faithful to his wife 364 days a year, he's not faithful. He's only faithful if he's faithful all the time. If you only pay your mortgage 11 out of 12 months, you're not being faithful. But God is faithful all the time. You sin, he forgives. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever confessed sin, but after you confessed it, you still didn't feel forgiven? Please remember this. Your forgiveness depends on his faithfulness and not your feelings. If you express your failure, you can absolutely expect God's faithfulness. One man was counseling with his pastor and he was being haunted by the ghost of guilt. There was some sin that he had committed many, many years ago that was tearing him to pieces. The pastor said, let me ask you something. Have you confessed this sin to God? And the man said, pastor, I've confessed it a thousand times. And that pastor said, that is 999 times too many. You should have confessed it once and then thank God 999 times for forgiving you. You see, when you confess a sin to God and God forgives it, then you come back and confess that very same sin later to God because you didn't feel forgiven. You just insulted God. Forgiveness depends on God's faithfulness, not your feelings. So this brings us to our last point, but also begs a question. If God always forgives, why is confession necessary? In other words, if Jesus has died for my sins and received God's punishment in my place, and furthermore, if confession is just agreeing with what God already knows, why do I need to confess in the first place? <laughs> well, in answer to that, suppose that just before I begin to preach, I take off my watch and I lay it on the altar. And then I forget that it's there and just walk off and leave it. Someone notices that I left it and he makes his way down to the platform area after the service and thinking that he is unobserved, he simply walks by the altar and slips the watch into his pocket. However, someone sees him take my watch and the next day informs me as to the identity of the thief. And hey, it's someone I know. Naturally, I'm surprised and disappointed but I choose to forgive him. And once I deal with any negative feelings I may have, there's no barrier in my relationship with this man. Well, at least as far as I'm concerned, my relationship with him has not changed. Even though he stole my only watch, <laughs> I've forgiven him for his actions. I've canceled the debt. I've assumed the loss. Then when I see him sitting in the back of church the following Sunday, I don't say, hey, hey, you, you, <laughs> you stole my watch. No, I've forgiven him. So I must trust the Lord to convict him of his sin. But now suppose the offender discovers that I'm aware of his action. And by coincidence, we meet in the hallway. And there's just the two of us. And I say to him, 
Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You see, I'm free because I have forgiven him. I'm not carrying the excess emotional weight of an unforgiving spirit or bitterness or resentment for his action. But what do you suppose is going on inside of him? He feels guilty, embarrassed, ashamed maybe, fearful, regretful, found out. I give him a warm, friendly handshake. I smile. I even invite him to lunch. But he nervously excuses himself. His eyes are unable to meet mine. He hurries off. He's miserable. His conscience is gnawing at him. His smile and sense of humor are gone. The only way he's going to be comfortable around me and have fellowship with me again is to clear his conscience by confessing to me that he took my watch and by asking for my forgiveness. My reply would then be, hey, you're already forgiven. I forgave you even before I knew who took it. He did not have to come to me to get forgiveness. He was already forgiven. His confession was necessary for him to clear his conscience and to be restored to his previous fellowship with me. That's what happens when we come to God confessing our sins. The confession does not persuade God to forgive us. He did that at the cross. The confession restores us to our previous level of fellowship and intimacy with him. From our perspective, God didn't change. He didn't turn away from us because of our sins. His love was not affected. He was not disappointed. He already knows about the sins we are yet to commit. And his response is still the same, forgiven. Confession then is not for God's sake, but for our sake. We're agreeing with what God already knows. We're admitting how we have offended God and damaged our relationship with other people. We're agreeing with God that we have fallen short of his standards. And yet God has already forgiven us, not because of our confession, but because Christ has already paid the penalty of our sins through his death and resurrection. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful thing. God will not only forgive you for falling in the mud, but he will clean you up and give you brand new clothes. May you live each day as a forgiven child of God, cleansed by the blood of Christ, wearing the robes of his righteousness. Confession truly is good for the soul. Amen.